Hello and welcome to Staying the Course, a podcast on navigating the challenges of lifelong learning. If you're new to the channel, do subscribe if you find this helpful. Our guest for today is Hazim Mohammad, the co-founder of Council Lab, a platform for one-to-one platform for advising sessions. Hi Hazim, how are you? Hi, 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 Sir. Good, thank you. How are you? I'm all right, man. Uh, thanks for making time for this conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's a pleasure. And congratulations to Council Lab on its app launch day. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that, that is quite the coincidence, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so in this episode, I'll be speaking to Hazim about his rationale and aspiration in co-founding Council Lab. Uh, we are keen to know his vision in building the platform and for which is for people to get advice in their respective endeavors for both educational and professional needs. Uh, we'll also be speaking about his own uh, learning journey uh, from his time in Malaysia to the UK and to his time uh, in the US. Um, a bit of a background, Hazim is a chartered financial analyst with a master's in finance from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology or MIT. And he holds a bachelor's degree in accounting and finance from the University of Warwick. So Hazim, my first question is quite simple. Tell us about yourself. All right. So I, yeah, I'm Hazim. I'm from Ipoh, Malaysia. Hmm. Um, went to boarding school uh, when I was 12. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I did A-levels. So my boarding school was College Yes and Science in Malacca. Went to boarding school, um, yeah, middle of the jungle, right? So this was a time where there wasn't really... I mean, internet, so there was one computer lab, 30 computers for 300 people. And yeah, phones were banned. So it was an interesting time then. I learned a lot, you know, that was where I really grew as a person, I feel, of all the periods of my life, the five years in boarding school were the most, probably the most uh, important of all. Uh, did A-levels, KYUM, accounting and finance in Warwick, um, yeah, and yeah, MIT, World Bank, and now... Council app. So yeah, it's it's uh, we can go into the details later, but as a short summary, that's that's uh, the life journey I've had. Yeah. Right, great. So you know the reason I call you in because I think Council app, although the premise is in counseling, it is also a form of learning as well. If we yeah. look to the, the the organizational learning model of seventy percent on the job. 20% through coaching and 10% through formal classroom teaching. I think this comes within the 70 to 20%, which makes a large chunk of um, learning in an organizational perspective. But a bit about yourself, you know, MIT is a dream school for many. Um, I've only seen it in um, uh, Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> How was your experience? Good movie. <laughs> how, how was your experience uh, getting into MIT and doing your master's yep, yep. finance there yep yep <laughs> so I guess it's it's a process it's not something even though I thought about applying very last minute four weeks before the deadline of the master's program I mean you can say your whole life but especially the three to five years leading up to the applications what matters the most to the school and um, just my time in Warwick in the UK uh, 
yeah, let me tell you. So in my first year, I was doing a lot of Malaysian things, you know, like Malaysian Student Association, UKEC, yeah, the National Umbrella Student Organization in the UK. Uh, Malaysian night, I was the lead actor, singing, acting, dancing on stage. But these are things, you know, I sort of did anyway in KYS during my boarding school years. So that wasn't really anything new then. I mean, I enjoyed it. I made a lot of friends, you know, I mean, really, really wonderful experiences. But yeah, at the end of my first year, I'm like, no, I need to sort of get out of the bubble, but not necessarily just separating myself. That's where the idea of ASEAN came into the picture, right? Because Malaysia is part of ASEAN, but it's just one out of 10. So rather than just me separating myself, I said, why if, what if, you know, I pull some of these people who have been uh, close to during first year of university to, to the ASEAN concept? And second year, I mean, really, right? It's the story of how the accident of how I started Warrior ASEAN Conference. That is the exact story I shared to MIT, to the World Bank. And yeah, it's just a unique story. So I'm not sure if you've heard of it before, but I mean, short summary, I was at a dinner in London, you know, there were 70 Malaysian students with Tony Fernandez. Uh, a new student organization was going to be born that night after dinner. Everyone took pictures with him. But yeah, my friend from Warwick, who became president of Warwick after, uh, he lived in the same hall as I did in, in Warwick. So mm -hmm. Hazim, remember our coffee chat, you know, our kitchen table chat two, three months ago, why don't you just pitch it to Tony now? And it was an idea for just an ASEAN conference of sorts, but it was very vague, right? There was no proposal, no team. But uh, yeah, he said, if you don't pitch now, you're not going to have this chance again. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. of course, you're right, right. So two of us walked up to Tony, you know, my, of course, my friend pushed me one step further, so I'll be the one talking. I'm like, Tony, you know, can I have a minute of your time? I have an idea to share. I said, yeah, go ahead. And uh, I said, I attended your talk in LSE last year, entitled, Is ASEAN Still Relevant? building on points of your talk, yeah, I'm going to start. I want to start the first ever Warrior Asian Conference. And I put it him, a, I sort of put him in a corner, right? He couldn't say he wasn't interested. He gave a two-hour talk on the topic. And yeah, so he's like, I like the sound of the idea, but just answer me this one question, right? Is this going to be a Malaysian ASEAN thing or an ASEAN ASEAN thing? And as simple as that question sounds, most of the time it's very difficult, right? In the region, if it's done in Malaysia, Vietnam, Brunei, mostly people organizing it or people attending will be just the nature of how, yeah, I mean, it's a very spread out region. Uh, but yeah, I, I knew I needed a quick answer. I told him, you know, for you, Tony, I'm going to make it an ASEAN, ASEAN thing. Yeah. And that was it, you know, 30, 45 seconds of shameless, you know, plug, uh, trying, yeah, not knowing what was going to happen. But yeah. He, you know, put out his hand and said, yeah, I don't know if you really have a plan, but uh, I like your spirit. I like the sound of the idea. Let me be your keynote speaker. And yeah, I will find you guys. And that was it. So that story, right, it's the same-ish. That's the one I wrote for MIT. Of uh, course, they were also asking about Patronus. I was a Patronus scholar at the time. So between Patronus, uh, Warwick ASEAN Conference, and yeah, of course, academics is still very important, right? So, so some of my favorite subjects in university those were the three things that uh, MIT asked when they came two of them came to London to interview me so the process is just applying online then you know I mean yeah doing the interview and yeah you get the offer but the first step is always to make you know to actually apply right but you think when it's a three five percent chance of uh, you know acceptance rate this is very low but I remember this conversation with my dad like but yeah, it's low, but yeah, it's the same for everyone-ish, right? Yeah. And if you don't apply, you're not going to get the offer. Can you live with not knowing 
what it could be. So even if it wasn't going to work out, by all probabilities, you know, yeah, 95% chance of not working out. But yeah, you just got to take a chance sometimes. And that's why I did with MIT. I see. That's, that's, that's a great story that has some really interesting beginnings going back <laughs> few years. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah. and I, I think, I think the, the, the great thing about it is the boldness in expanding the scope of your um, conference. I think the question, is it a Malaysian ASEAN thing or an ASEAN ASEAN thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really pushes the boundaries of thinking. And I think you really met up to the challenge there. So, you were in um you were in uh, MIT Boston and then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you were you you went to 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 work after that before early in two thousand twenty one you became a co founder and CEO of Council Lab. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting concept, uh, Hazim. It happens in real life outside of the virtual world. It happens by chance. Um. It happens by fate, but what is the thinking behind the idea that founded Council Lab? Mm, 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 sure. So of course, there's always stories. Yeah. So there's a couple <laughs> more here, I guess. Yeah. So when it comes to Council Lab, uh, it goes back right to March, April, 2018. Mm. So it's this boy right i mean at the time he was just 17 years old after scam cartech nagaraj and he is now one of the founding team members of council mm-hmm. lab and yeah he coded up basically android himself from scratch and he's only 21 now just after university last month but when he was 17 and he reached out to me he went to kys as well but yeah seven years apart i was 24 i just started working with the world bank and yeah here it is you know here there is a 17 year old after spm reaching out and it was like you know, about him, I uh, I didn't get the scholarships, you know, that I wanted to. Yeah, I applied to a few, got, you know, to stage three, stage four, but he only applied for really PPE. And uh, not many scholarships, I mean, sponsoring bodies offer it, right? So he was sort of in a dilemma. He didn't know what to do because he was ho- really, really hoping it would be one of this. Uh, so he's like, can you please guide me for my post-secondary school life? And for a 17-year-old to do that, you know, from Malaysia, from Asia, this is not common. 17-year-old yeah. me did not do that, right? I should have, but yeah, I didn't have the guts. So clearly, this guy, this, you know, Kartik had, had guts. <laughs> so I told him, yeah, instead of me responding here, why not we have a 30-minute call, right? So, mm. And yeah, the 30-minute call became three hours because, yeah, this was a very crucial junction of his life, right? After SBM, deciding what you want to do with life is a big part. I mean, scholarship is one, but really what course you want to do, how do you find yourself? Because most of the time at that age, your exposure is really just to your parents, your parents' friends, and, you know, your friends' parents or something like that. So it's not easy for you to make the decision to do some courses which are just not within your immediate sphere, right? So that three-hour call was important. And, yeah, I mean, he was sort of an experiment. So I told him, you know, we figured it out what he should probably do. He enrolled in A-Levels College. It was a gamble, <laughs> but uh, the things that he did during A-levels was just exceptional. I mean, I can give one or two examples. So one, because he was 50-50 between PPE because he was a lot, I mean, he was a debater and computer science because it's very difficult to decide in computer science when you don't don't have exposure in high school, even much in A-levels, right? Mm -hmm. How do you decide to do a degree in computer science without exposure? So between his first and second year of A-levels, AS and A2, 
I asked him, like, you know, why don't you just try some of these Harvard's first year computer science lectures, right? Just one, two hours. Yeah, I mean, if you don't like it, then yeah, stop. Yeah, he finished almost half of the course within that three, four weeks of, you know. So, of course, he didn't do all the assignments, but yeah, just listening to the lectures alone, being interested enough, because, yeah, if you don't understand it, you're not going to look, you're not going to watch through half of the courses, but he did. So that was one thing. And uh, yeah, he heard a story that I just shared about Warriors and Conference just now. He read Tony's book, Flying High, the Autobiography. He wrote a physical letter addressing Tony. You know, Tony, I can really relate to your experience going to boarding school at 13 and all. Uh, he shared also his resume because, you know, by then he already did some computer science courses and just said, if there's any way we could meet or, you know, any way I could contribute to the Asia, let me know. Yeah, within a week, the head of HR offered him a data analytics role. And this is a 18-year-old boy. And, and again, right, it, this... It was just exceptional. So every two, three months, we'll have a 20-minute college. Clearly, I told him, I'm not doing computer science or PPE, but I have friends who clearly are, you know, so one of my friends at least can guide you in whatever you want to do. Yeah. And, and that's at the core of Counselab because not everyone may necessarily have the network, but yeah, there are people out there who are more than willing to do it. And whoever I introduce Kartik to, they mm. always say yes to talk to him. If it's just a 20-minute call, they always did it. So, so that's one part of it. But the second part of this founding of Counselor is just me doing three to five calls with strangers, really. Initially, it was friends, friends of friends. But once you start working, a lot of people start reaching out to you, you know, to me on LinkedIn. And over time, doing five of these calls every weekend, right, with just whoever, over time, it got a lot. And clearly, when they reach out to me, I'm like, I mean, I can do the calls, but when the volume was too much, or clearly I knew someone better to address that topic than me, I will always make introductions. And uh, yeah, I mean, four years, you know, from my starting of work, it's almost been four years at World Bank. Yeah, I've done hundreds of these calls. There's Mm -hmm. demand everywhere. And yeah, there's people who are willing to do it. It's just a matter of coming up with a platform that is tailored to this because the problem with LinkedIn is that it's a three-layered problem first you don't necessarily have the right people in your network you don't just search someone out on LinkedIn you could search someone up try to add them and talk to them but it's a lot of barrier because you don't know if they're open to doing it which is the second layer right even if you know the person you don't know if they are open to talking to you and even they're open you don't know if they're free talking to you that is why the funnel usually is you reach out to 10 people to get to two people who are you know open to talking to you to one who is actually free. And I experienced this. All my friends in MIT, when we were applying for jobs, we wanted guidance to apply to all these companies and whatnot. It was very difficult. And yeah, if you have to reach out to 200, 300 people to talk to like 10, 20, and yeah, it just is not optimal. And that is why Lab is built as a one-to-one, I mean, to optimize one-to-one advising sessions. You have a profile, you put the topics you want to give guidance on or what you want to see, right? So that we can start with the recommendation algorithm underneath. I mean, recommending people to you. Uh, you have the messaging function, scheduling to know when you're free and all. So it's just clean. And I've asked enough people because LinkedIn is very corporate, is very professional, but that also means 18-year-olds aren't there, doctors, medical doctors, scientists, creators don't really feel like, you know, LinkedIn is for them because LinkedIn does very well at what it was built to do, which is jobs, right? People applying for jobs and recruiters, finding people. But for advising, yeah, it was never really tailored for that. It's very hard for it to move from the image it has built of being a very, very professional, you know, platform. Mm. All right. Wow. Let me pause that. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So, you know, um, the reason I founded this 
podcast is because I've yep. been receiving questions uh, across many platforms. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So and 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 recently, I think um, Councillor were looking for uh, people who can advise with regards to application to graduate school. Yep. Yeah. I think those were some of the like test runs or some of the um, the 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 demography that you would like to test first. Um, yep. So today, twelve um, hours ago, was the launch of the app. Uh, both mm-hmm. on the Apple Store as well as the Play Store, um, yeah. but in, in the past few months when you were doing this run, how has mm-hmm. the reception been? How has the the test runs been for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we started with the first run of about 100-150 people. Really, with just a spreadsheet, right? We were using Airtable, exactly trying to replicate at most, you know, most of what we have in the app now, but just in a spreadsheet. People giving details that will allow us to start you know matching people for people to start having calls so, so the first 150 people really i mean we were just open right we didn't really focus on any topic we wanted to see what were the ranges of topics people would want advice on we had some assumptions but we want to validate it and almost overwhelmingly everyone wanted some form of academic or career advice and there were some others you know like financial and all but that's a little trick here because those require verifications of backgrounds. We'll get to, I mean, I'll get to the details later. But yeah, the 150 people, uh, the bulk, uh, sorry, the bulk of it was uh, like A-level students, demand side, applying to university on the supply side. And there were multiple tests, right? I, when the, I saw the demands of this 50 odd, you know, A-level students and wanting to apply to UK mainly or US, uh, then I started reaching out to people from these universities, you know, these people wanted to apply for, the, the A-level students wanted to apply for. And amazingly, you know, I mean, the range of people, one is a senior I haven't spoken to in like 11 years, you know, from KYS. Another was like the primary school friend who I haven't spoken to, but they are on LinkedIn. I just needed to verify that they're sort of active on LinkedIn, right? Just seeing when was the last activity they've had to know that yeah, they're yeah. on the platform. Yeah. Otherwise, like, yeah, you're going to do the same funnel, right? You reach out to 10 to get to one. So, you know, I did not want to go through that route. So, so I saw immediately, I mean, and the uptake, you know, people responded within one, two days. Like, yeah, as in, you know, I mean, if you feel like I'm good, because what you do when you make an introduction is that you're telling the advisor you're good enough to talk to the student and the student is probably worth your time, you know, I mean, in terms of a fit to have a meaningful, beneficial, productive conversation. And throughout, you know, the 100-ish calls which happened between this 100 people, 98 were happy, you know, were good. And the other two were neutral. And just because, and I get it, from the advisor's side, you don't really know necessarily if you gave good advice, right? Mm-hmm. It is up to the advisee because even if you shared what happened in your life, yeah, you may or may not apply to other person, but that's where, you know, the profile building of counsel that matches. Mm-hmm. And we're making it a little more personal, right? Take sharing about turning points in your life, you know, what makes you tick, what are your goals in life and all these are not really, it's too personal to be put on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, clearly people were happy with it. And that is why also when it comes to the business model of counsel app, uh, 
we are giving the option to the advisee who got the advice to decide whether or not they got value and tip the person in a coffee token. That's what we're going to test over the next five, seven days. Like a $5 token, right? If you're happy with it, you could, but it's completely optional. Because my financial models were simple. When I was raising pre-seed funding, you know, I just needed about 5-10% off calls, all calls which happen to have any form of tipping. Yeah? So yeah. out of 20 calls, if one call ends up in a $5 tip, this platform runs. Because <laughs> the other thing, very important thing we learned during the test was that, yeah, people didn't really mind that the calls didn't happen on Council Apps platform, you know, the video audio calls, because what they needed was the connection. So mm -hmm. what we did in the feature that we thought of based on that, you know, insight from the test was that, yeah, what if we just, as people create their profiles, you know, they can just put their Zoom link or Google Meet link and, you know, on your council app calendar, you just click on it and yeah, you go to the call, right? Because the server cost of a 30 minute audio call, yeah, of course, it's not, I mean, it's free for us users across now, but no, there's some server somewhere in the world running it. And the rough estimation of the cost was about 24 cents per 30 minute call. And we have a million calls that's $240,000. And that is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But when the calls don't even need to happen, counseling, of course, over time, once we get bigger and our scale, we'll probably have that feature to make life easier for our users. But you need to know as you're building a company, what are the most important features to build first? Because there's a million things you want to build. But yeah, you got to triage, triage, right? You really got to decide in the beginning, what is the core of the app? And that's where we found through the test is profile building, it's messaging, scheduling, and, you know, recommendations. And that is what we have in the first version that we launched yesterday. Hmm. And I was just looking at the screenshots, um, pages or wireframes of the, yep. the app. Um, yep. It seems quite friendly and... Uh, mm need to use to me it's deliberate uh, yes yes yeah, so what's the thinking behind the, uh, the, mm, the mm, mm. i mean the designing of course i would rather my co-founder Karen god answer because yeah she's the one who thought through most of the designing but the branding we thought about a year ago right so even as we started council app you come up with a brand brief of what attributes you want your brand to to really like because yeah you have to focus right because if you're really too professional then yeah just by default it won't be as friendly so what we have is somewhere in between linkedin and like for lack of better examples that like, you know almost like dating apps because dating apps are very i mean very personal yeah. linkedin is very professional so we want it somewhere in between because you need the element of personality vulnerability to make an advising platform work if it's too professional people are not gonna you know uh, be comfortable necessarily to write these things but if it's too casual like dating platforms then yeah people will just think you know this is not really built for professional you know academic advising yeah. so it's somewhere in between so we built you know a 10 pages brand brief across multiple things which persona represents as well our target market uh, what you know uh so that is how we came up with the current design. Mm, so it's deliberate personalities, you know, about friendliness, you know, vulnerability, reliability, uh, openness, exploration, you know, discovery. These are things. That's why you see an astronaut on one of the pages on our website. Yeah. Because, you know, space is like the ultimate example of exploration, right? So, so it's almost like you're, you're in your own spaceship encounters that you're trying to figure out these different parts of your life, especially at the crucial junctions, you know, two, three calls. That is what has helped me throughout these different junctions in life. And most of these people, I don't really even know, right? They are just people I reached out to 
mm. via cold messages on LinkedIn, especially when it came to MIT World Bank. Yeah, I didn't know anyone in these two places personally. So I really just had to reach out to strangers at the time. Uh, but any shared background helps. So, and that's another thing where, yeah, you know, as you try to sign up accounts to that, we're asking it, you know, which country are you from that you identify with, you know, countries which matter the most to you, where you studied, where you've worked, yeah. countries of origin, uh, countries of affiliation, rather, languages you speak. Because, yeah, while the app is in English, some people may just be comfortable speaking in different languages, right? We haven't really translated the app that comes later as, you know, uh, we grow into more targeted regions. But at the moment, we're just opening it up to see yeah, where the demand is. Uh, we sort of know from the tests and all, but uh, we're allowing people to sign up and put whatever topic they want to advise on. We have a list of like 20 uh, suggested prompts, you know, to for topics you want to get or uh, give advice on. But yeah, people could really put whatever they want. And the list of interests that you see, as long as it's non-qualified, that is the most important part here. We are only, I mean, it's in the terms and conditions, we only allow non-qualified advice to be given on the app. Now, if it's not, then you know, it's, because uh, when it comes to financial medical legal advice, for example, we will need to verify this. And this comes later when we sort of launch something like Council App Pro. Because mm -hmm. if you want to million users in six months or a year, it's gonna be very hard to verify each person's background. So what we'll do instead for credibility checks is the tipping mechanism. Cause yeah, if it's tip, right? Clearly this advisee got value, ratings, feedback, or flagging, right? If there are bad actors and there will be bad actors as any platform, there'll be flags by the community. So it's a community driven-ish uh, verification check at this point. So, mm. Yeah. Um, another, <clears throat> element about Council Lab that has intrigued me is the team that you have assembled. And I think over the past week and a half, uh, the page, the Council Lab page on um, LinkedIn has been sharing who's the people behind um, the organization, you, you know, you, the graphic exactly. designer, your, your marketing strategies, uh, the UX person, and these mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. are very, very highly qualified people what was the thinking in you assembling this team and bringing <coughs> um, great people together uh, to mm -hmm. force behind uh, council? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So initially, really, I've been thinking about this concept for years, but Kartik was what really brought it to the forefront of my mind. Like maybe I want to do something. And how I found my co-founder, really, Karin Dan, right? Uh, she was with Facebook at the time. Uh, so at the two-year mark of Kartik sending me that message on Facebook, I wrote an article on Facebook, LinkedIn called, you know, uh, turning a fishing rod into a fishing boat. And there's a play on the fishing rod quote because there's, you know, this guy really brought it all the way. Because I wrote the article, Karin found it. I mean, she read the article. We only met once in 2018 at some random event in the US. You know, it's like a business case study competition. I was judging she was a participant. Mm. But we barely spoke. But she read the article, saw that Kartik was taking a gap year, and yeah, she volunteered, you know, to help Kartik, uh, to guide Kartik over his gap year because he wanted to self-learn computer science. And it was COVID, right? A lot of people were taking gap years because, yeah, not being in university is not great So when you're a university student. Yeah. But yeah, so that's how I found the X Factor in Kuvin, right? Because... Yeah, I mean, there are people, of course, with more experience and all, but I needed someone devoted to the cause. And her reaching out directly to Kartik, 
even though she even barely knew me, right, was a very, very strong indicator. I had a call with her and, you know, within a couple of days, she agreed to be a co-founder. Uh, but yeah, the others initially was like friends, right? I really just needed yeah. someone to help with designs that uh, in the beginning, you know, to start with the logo, you know, the initial color scheme and whatnot, the brand brief. So that's how I asked Husna, who was my friend from, you know, a prior endeavor in the UK. She was doing a PhD in tourism management at the time in Surrey. She's in Japan now. She's the one in Japan. But yeah, so the others are like friends of friends or like affiliations. So the three, four people you see, Americans in our team from UPenn uh, specifically, because yeah, that was the school Corinne went to. They have a student club uh, called Penn Spark. And the student club matches students who want, uh, you know, students who want startup experience with startups who want, you know, to give the opportunity to, to students. And that's how we got this three, four, amazing amazing people you know they're currently students so a lot of people apart from Corinne and I everyone else is doing it part-time at the moment so, mm. but as you said they have amazing backgrounds and yeah as and when you know they graduate they're ready to join counselor full-time-ish yeah but as you build a startup you have to bootstrap so we know we cannot afford you know five ten uh, because to validate the concept so you do pre-seed to validate-ish the idea enough to raise a seed round so once you raise a seed round and we are hoping to do that you know within the next two to six months uh that is when you hire four or five full-timers once you have validated the demand so as launching the app there are four layers of demand i guess so downloading the app you know creating the profile engaging people having the call mm-hmm. then having a tip call right because a tip call is the ultimate indicator of demand that yeah People value this enough. People value the time, the call that they've had enough to want to, because yeah, it's very hard for people to spend money. <laughs> mm-hmm. But at this yeah, yeah. indicator of interest. Uh, but yeah, so in terms of the team, it's uh, a mixture of affiliations and friends or friends of friends uh, mm-hmm. at this time. But as we do see it, we will need to hire full-timers who have more experience because that is when you try to scale it up. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned the potential of a counter lab pro one day you just yep. mentioned scaling it up um counter lab is about 11 months old the app is live 12 hours old what yep. is your long-term vision uh, and aspiration for counter lab yeah i mean i guess the vision is simple the vision is just a world where everyone everywhere has access to the guidance they need to and as simple as that sounds, of course, it's a very, very difficult vision to achieve, right? And we know, but yeah, we got to start somewhere. So we're starting with the academic career circle, and that's already huge. Uh, our go-to-market strategy is to go to universities. But for example, alumni uh, really want to help like current students, but most of the current grad platforms, right? Like Warwick's one and all, isn't really optimized yet. Um, uh, it's difficult. And it's not a social media. People just won't open it as much. So ours really is a combination of a social media with a marketplace. You can almost think of it like LinkedIn plus Reddit combined together. And yeah, unless you are opening it every day, it's going to be very difficult for you to just respond on, you know, UCL Nets, you know, Cambridge Net or whatever, Warwick Nets. And the go-to-market strategy is this. What if, you know, when we test with the first community, because we haven't built the community feature, we'll need to build it first to do this. But then alums will be able to talk to current students. And yeah, the current students tips, tipping the person goes into an alumni fund. So then you know these 
alumni really giving advice is directly benefiting the endowment for their schools and mm-hmm. your relationship your people's uh, you know like relationship with the school is very strong right it's just a, an identity that you really hold forever yeah. and yeah i mean between giving the tip to the person or to the school's endowments or to charity between these three you know of the 100 people with us 90 95% like yeah will definitely be comfortable with one of these three because some people don't want the money for themselves and that's fine you can give it to your school or you give it to the best charities in the world which are data backed and all right those are the ones who are likely choose for that but yeah so that is the idea the go to market strategy because if you get one university you're going to get 10 100 1000 universities right and each university between alumni and current students you're talking about 10000 people ish per university so 100 universities gets us to a million Uh, but we haven't really built the committee's feature yet. We tested it out a bit in the first version of the app. This is really like the second full version of the app, uh, so that we were comfortable enough. Because the first one was really just to see, right? If we allow, you know, as simple as basic a possible uh, uh, profile, a lot of profiles are just empty. Because it's like Clubhouse, right? When you allow an empty feel alone. A lot of profiles of MTNs. That's very hard to kickstart conversations. That is why you will see. I will sign up process as a few more steps. You know, instead of thirty seconds, it may take you know one two minutes. But yeah, it's important to set the baseline right. So even at the very base of profiles that you see on council, that hundred-ish people have signed up over the past you know twelve hours. Yeah, even the most basic of profiles has enough information-ish to start a conversation. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But that is the the vision, right? To anyone, anywhere, getting guidance they need on almost any topic. Yeah, and it begins with a single conversation. I think that's a powerful. It all starts with a single conversation. It does. I think that's a powerful line. Uh, so kudos to the team. So as in my final question, um, you've been you you've 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 began movements even from your student days, um, being very active in organizing yeah. student societies. You've been in corporate, and now you you are in the startup scene as as a co-founder. What would be your advice for those who are toying with the idea, dreaming the dream, um, and you know just itching for that first step forward yep. um, into fa- uh, founding a, a a movement or or startup? Sure. So. I guess it depends on stage of life. I, uh, there's a slight separation in terms of how I've done it since starting work and how I've done it, you know, from like high school, uh, university. So yeah, let let me separate answer in that. I guess so. When it came to like you know A levels college, I started KYUM summit. Uh, it was just really I tested it out, right? And I think that applies to both. So testing it out, uh, just thinking it through, right? Talking about just write it down, really. A one pager, three, five, ten bullet points. Try to talk it through with some friends to see if it makes sense, right? Because talking to even five, ten people, you're going to have ten, you know, different minds as additional information. The first time you do it, you can do the Google searches and all, but that doesn't get you to the details as much because you sort of have to optimize it, like advice, right, to your background. It comes to these projects, to the locality, you know, the community you're trying to build it for. So there is an element of optimization that happens, but the first step, yeah, you can use online resources to do most research. Yeah. Uh, so like Warrior Asian Conference, <laughs> it was, yeah, 
I already had the kitchen table discussion with the friend before I pitched to Tony, right? It wasn't really, really, okay. there wasn't a real plan. But I sort of tried to see if it made any sense by having, you know, like a, a reality check with some friends uh, a few months before that. So building counselor is the same. It's some people, yes, they just quit the jobs, you know, then try it out. But no, I don't really like that mechanism. I like to test it out to see if it makes sense. And that is why it's been, you know, almost 12 months, right, from the initial conversation I had with Karin and Kartik before actually the decision. Okay, it was about seven, eight months. Because to deciding that, yes, I'm ready-ish to quit the job and, you know, transition as long as, you know, the visa works out. So, but yeah, so it's about testing it out, finding a co-founder. So everything I've built, I've had at least one co-founder. Some people can go solo, but when you have an accountability buddy and most of these things, when you start something, it's never really easy, even as simple as a project in school. So having even one other person to work it out with you has been, yeah, I mean, at least for me, what has made it work. Every single thing, you know, from uh, KYM Summit in A-Levels College, Warriors and Conference in the UK, uh, you know, to, yeah, counsel that. Because I've thought about it for years, but it's really when you have another person to push you, right? You push each other, you support each other. It's a difficult journey. So testing it out, getting a co-founder is what I would recommend to people uh, before really. But yeah, because testing the the opportunity cost is lower. If you quit your job before knowing it'll work, yeah, that that's, I wouldn't, because I'm a risk manager. That's what I do right? in, in World Bank, right? I'm a risk analyst. So I need to analyze the risk before making. And yeah, because it's very easy to see all these stories of people just quitting mm. university and all. But that's one story out of, you know, maybe a thousand, ten thousand, which others, which didn't work, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be smart. It has to be calculated risk. And there are ways to test it out, which are low risk. As I talking through, uh, designing a simple, you know, proposal or project, one, two pager uh, template and yeah, talking to people, getting a co-founder. Because if you get a co-founder, there's already a validation that there's some value to it. Because so, getting a co-founder already means that, you know, there's at least one other person who believes in it as much, if not more than you. Right. And that goes a long way. Yeah. Right, right. So, you know, I think those inspirational words will go a long way, especially for the young ones who were at the junctures that you were at previously. So with that, um, Hazim, thank you again for your time. Uh, my prayers and well wishes for Council Lab, you know, I think it's a noble um, uh, initiative all in all because it's, it creates access um, to those and it, and it opens doors to opportunities to those who might not have um, the, 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 the grit or resilience, the natural one, which needs to be built over time. With that, I wish you the very best, Hazim. Looking forward to uh, follow the progress and development of Council Lab. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ezra. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.